share with you a couple of things that I believe are very important. And um, so what I want to do, first of all, is just say thank you for your giving. Tegan mentioned that a few minutes ago. And, and share with you that I was really glad tonight that there was an opportunity to give online. Now, sometimes they fail to mention that to you, but I'm going to mention it to you again, is that that opportunity to be able to give online is there. Because I looked at my wife. She normally has a giving envelope, and if you'll notice, the giving envelopes are getting kind of sparse. There's a reason for that, because we've got some changes coming to those envelopes, and so we, we've got them out there. But she, I looked at her, and I said, and she was like, and I knew what that meant was I forgot to get that ready to give to you. So I was able to go to MyRefugeChurch.com, click on the giving tab, give, put in my gift for tonight. And also not only put in my gift, but because we use the system we use, I was able to pick up the tab that it would charge the church. So the 3.5% that any credit card company normally charges, they charge us for that. We're able to pick that tab up. So I'm thankful tonight for online giving. I'm thankful tonight that we got that. That's why we're able to say that your giving's up by 36% because you're doing that. We're celebrating those good things. I also want to mention to you that Sunday, this Sunday, which is uh, Labor Day weekend, uh, it's a great a great time of the Lord, and they're changing mics because this one's been giving us crazy fits, and we try to fix it, and it's still giving us fits. Um, this Sunday, do not miss. If you miss this Sunday, you're going to miss a wonderful time. We have got a lot planned, a block party planned. We, we've got church service planned for you, and we're going to have a great time. We're going to be generous to you. We've got some great things that are happening. Many of you have, have come. You met with Sunday. You're going to give of your time for people that are coming, and I'm excited about it. I am, real, I am excited about it. Now, I know it's Wednesday night. I know that you're supposed to come in here and be tired and not. But look, tonight is the night. I didn't get a nap today. Maybe you did. I didn't get a nap either. And I'm excited about being here today. I'm excited about what the Lord's going to do because I believe that He's got a word for us tonight. Amen? I say, well, Pastor, it's different because it's, you know, it's a Wednesday night and these seats are empty and these seats are empty and we're kind of sitting in the middle. You know what? It's okay tonight. We've come into this house for one reason, and that's to worship Him. That's to lift Him up and to glorify Him. And I ask tonight that our students be in here, those that are 13 to 19 years old, because tonight I'm going to specifically be talking to the families. I shared with you a few weeks ago before we took a, a, few, uh, a sabbatical, some time off, which was not scheduled. And um, I shared with you about a couple of things, how important it is that our young people in this time, in this day and age, that we teach them the family business. Some of you remember that. We spent Father's Day talking about the youth and talking about fathers. We even talked about the role of a parent because I'm going to be honest with you, right now, right today, there is a, there is a, strong, uh, there's a strong opportunity for our youth to rise up and make a complete difference in this country. And I shared with you that I really believe that the way that our youth go is the way that our country will go. The way that our young people go, our country will go. Why is that, Pastor? Well, you look at any kind of fads that you want to. You look at fashion. If you want to know what fashion is going to do, look at what our youth are doing. And I'm telling you, that's how it's going to go. 
If you want to know how our country is going to go, you watch and look and you will see. Watch our young people and you will see how this country goes. That's why there is a very, there is a very important mandate that we share the gospel truth with our young people, that we reach in to the next generation, that we say that we're going to make a difference, we want them to make a difference, and we equip them to make the difference. I believe that the Word of God is still relevant for the 21st century. I believe that the Jesus that died over 2,000 years ago is relevant for the 21st century church. And I'm grateful tonight that Jesus came, gave His life, died on the cross, not just for me, not just for my mama, not just for my grandparents, but He died for my children and my grandchildren. And I'm going to speak into them and speak life into them. And I need parents that really understand and get a hold of this and say, Pastor, more than anything else, I don't want my children to have to be in bondage that I've been into. And that doesn't mean that it's because of alcohol or drugs. It may be financial burdens. I've seen kids, I have seen young adults that are under the financial load of what their parents have done and they never taught them, they never gave to them the Word of God, they never shared principles with them, they never taught them, hey, you don't need to spend everything you've got. You need to give what you have, something to the Lord, and then you need to be able to give back, you need to put something away for yourself. They don't teach people having taught that and we need to teach that in the 21st century church that our kids are not living from paycheck to paycheck they're not trying to figure out how in the world are they going to take care of themselves I believe that God loves us so much that he gave not only his son but it is his desire for us to have health Come on, somebody. And to, and to have the blessings of the Lord and the favor of the Lord, which does not always mean things, but I believe that part of the blessings of the Lord is that our cup is overflowing. That, that, our, that the blessings of God are resting upon us in such a way that we're not just living from paycheck to paycheck. But we know God has been so good to us that He's given into our lives that we can give into the life of somebody else. We're overflowing with the blessing of God. Nobody wants their kids to struggle. I don't want mine to struggle. Amen. And so tonight, I want to share with you about two people, and I don't have a long time to do this. And my wife's shaking her head at me. No, you don't. She's trying to hold me, my feet to the fire. Turn with me to Isaiah 39 and verse 8. And then we're going to go to the book of Esther, a small book in the Old Testament. And I'm going to share with you a couple of things. But first, out of the book of Isaiah 39, verse 8. Jen Melton came into the office tonight. I have this wrote in my notes. I'd be happy to show it to anybody. That I believe that the Lord has put a mandate on my shoulders to bring the house of God to an order. That's what God wants me to do in this season that we're in. She mentioned that where they were at church this past week visiting with her family and so forth that the pastor there shared very similar that that same word. And so I put those, it's at the top of my notes tonight. And so in Isaiah 39 verse 8, would you stand with me for just a moment and let me read that and then we're going to just whisper a prayer and then you can be seated. Isaiah 39, I'm reading from the New King James tonight. It'll be on the screen. It says, So Hezekiah sent to Isaiah the word of the Lord which you have spoken, look at this, is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. Father, we ask you 
Help us to lean in for the next 20 minutes. Father, to receive your word, to leave here tonight with something more than what we came with. Father, for us tonight to receive this in such a way that not only we will get it, Lord, not only the adults, but Lord, that every young person that's here tonight would receive this and get it into their hearts. We ask it now in the name of Jesus. Amen. And you may be seated tonight. Our text tonight is about a king by the name of Hezekiah. The Bible says that he'd been blessed. If you read back in Isaiah 31 and you read verses 1 through 6, you'll find out that Hezekiah was not going to live very much longer. But the Lord blessed him by adding 15 years to his life. I don't know about you, but if I found out that my days were numbered and I knew that I wouldn't make it past tomorrow, I believe that the blessing of the Lord would be God adding to my days 15 years. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so during this time, what we find out is that Hezekiah, the king's wealth increases. Now I want you to hear this. As his wealth increased, also his pride increased. He began to... Say what the New Testament talks about. Hey, your soul's done well. Look at me. I've built new barns. I've filled my barns up with these things. I want you to come and look at the treasures that I have. And that's what happened to Hezekiah. Now you say, didn't God know all of that before He gave Hezekiah 15 years to his life? Yes, He did. God is sovereign and He knows everything about everything. Amen, somebody. It doesn't knock God off His throne when we have another school shooting. It doesn't knock God off His throne when when planes run through the Twin Towers. You say, why in the world would God allow those things? Because God gave man a free will. And as much as you and I would like to say, well, God's in control so He could stop this, He will never override your will. And whatever you choose to do, He will allow you to do. Come on, somebody. But when you say in your heart, I want to serve the Lord and I want to do what's right in my life, God will give you the will, because He does that. He gives you the will to be able to do it, but you have to choose to do it. Are you with me? So He knows that that this will happen. And then He's visited by a guy, and I'm going to call him M, because I can't pronounce his name real good. This man is the son of the king of Babylon. Now Babylon, any time that you find it in the scriptures, is most of the time, a, or all of the time, a, a sign of the world. Even in the Old Testament, it represented the sign of the world system, which is the evil, which is the things that we know are to come. We talk about Babylon in Revelations. We know that it's the world to come. It's the things. It's the Antichrist. It's all of the things that most of us don't want to have to deal with. Well, Babylon in this day was a day that was uh, filled with evil. And Hezekiah was took this king or this son's king in to see all the treasures of his kingdom. It would be like taking him into your family vault, opening the door up, opening the the lock and trusting him, total trust in him and showing basically the enemy all that he had and prideful, it it, it was a prideful move to make himself look good. In other words, I want to show you what I got here. Let me let, let me let me look let you look inside this vault. Let me let you see all the gold. Let me see all the silver. And, and, and you say, Pastor, explain it to me. It's like a man getting a brand new whip. Now I didn't know what that meant until not too long ago to one of these young people helped me out. But a, a new whip is a new car, a new truck. Y'all with me on the same page? And if a man gets a new car or a new truck, 
especially a new truck, he wants everybody to look and he wants his friends to see what it looks like. He wants them to see what the interior looks like. He wants them to know what kind of engine it's got in it. Why? Because he's proud of his new whip, right? There's a difference between a new whip and an old hoopty. And I've drove a few old hoopties in my time. Amen? And so it's just that way. And so this guy... This king, this son, uh, son of a king, goes in, sees all of that. Hezekiah showing off all the bells and the whistles. And what he's doing, what he is doing, listen closely, while he's showing this son of Babylon, the enemy himself, all the bells and whistles, the son of this king is plotting to take his truck, to take his wife, and to take his future. Isaiah the prophet asked King Hezekiah in chapter 39, what did you show this king's son? He told him everything. I've shown him everything. Look at verses, um, look at Isaiah 39, 5 through 7. This is Isaiah the prophet's reply to it. He said, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, behold, the days are coming. When all that is in your house, everything you have and what your fathers have accumulated unto this day shall be carried away by the enemy or by Babylon, nothing shall be left, says the Lord. In other words, it's all gone. Look at his, look at this. And they shall take away uh, some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. In other words, these are your kids. These are your, your, even some of your grandchildren. And they will be eunuchs. In other words, they're not going to have much of a chance. And they will be put in the palace of the king of Babylon basically to serve under your enemy. What? Isaiah? What are you saying? He's telling, uh, telling the king, telling King Hezekiah that because you opened your house, because you opened the door to the enemy, that the enemy will overtake your house and he will steal your children. Oh, listen to me, church. Hear what I'm about to tell you. The most valuable thing that you have in your house is your children, parents. The most valuable thing that God has given to you is not the wealth that you've accumulated. It's not a brand new whip. It's not a new car. It's not a new house. The most valuable thing that you have is the children that are in your home. They are the inheritance of the Lord. They are what God has given to you to be able to, to like, Arrows in the hands of a mighty man to send them into a world that's filled with darkness. But knowing the truth of Jesus Christ sheds the light everywhere they go because where light is, darkness cannot be. Come on, somebody. And we need it in our schools. We need it not only in our schools, but we need it in our workplaces. We need somebody who is willing because we're living in a dark hour. But I got news for you about the time that you think it's over with. Jesus will come back. Come on, somebody. Jesus is is ready to come back. You say, why hasn't he come back? Because he's waiting on the he's waiting on the call of the Father. The Bible says that no man knows the hours except Jesus. I'm about to preach here. Amen. Nobody knows the hour except uh, except God the Father. Not even the Son. That means that Jesus doesn't know. So God, being sovereign as though who He is, looks at the at His Son Jesus and says, "Go get my children." Where is He right now, Pastor? I believe His 
has got his hand on the doorknob of heaven waiting to give a clarion call to all of those who are saved and redeemed and bought by the blood of the Lamb to come back. I believe that we're not very long. We're not very far off. We're on the edge of eternity. And it's important that our kids know who Jesus is. Not just any Jesus, but the real Jesus. Not just a Jesus of a bunch of lights and a show, but a Jesus who can still save you, heal you, set you free, do miracles. I'm talking about the real Jesus who is able to do anything exceedingly abundantly above all that you would ask or think. That's the Jesus I'm serving. When I was a kid in church, when they laid hands on people, they were healed. Come on, somebody. I saw miracles in when I was a kid before I ever really knew what the baptism in the Holy Ghost was. Before I ever understood what a speaking in tongues was. I saw people healed. I saw cancers fall off of people's faces. I saw people who could not walk, get up and walk again. That's the Jesus I'm serving. I know that He came to save us. I know that He came to set us free. But I'm thankful that He still heals too. I'm thankful that His arm is not shortened. That He can't reach right to where I'm at. And I don't want to just know him, but I want my kids to know him. I want my grandkids to know him. I want the next generation to understand there is a God who can set you free and deliver you and you do not have to live under what your parents have or what your grandparents have. You are free because Jesus set you free. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Listen to this. He set, Hezekiah set his children up for failure. Why? Because, look at this, they were going to be taken as prisoners by the enemy. Hezekiah's response was very clear and casual. But it alarms me to know that his response, Hezekiah's, was casual. As though God had not said through the prophet, hey look, they're going to take your children. Not only are they going to take your wealth, but they're going to take your children. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter how much wealth you've obtained in your life. If they take your children, if they take the heritage of God, they have taken everything you have. And I want to share with you tonight, let, let, them, let them do whatever they will, but my goodness, my heavens, let them take my house, let them take my car, but my heavens, don't let them take the heritage of the Lord. Our children, my goodness, somebody needs to stand up and take a stand and say you know what my kids are worth fighting for my children are worth standing up in the face of the enemy and telling them you're not going to have my kids devil it's not your day to take them it's not, your, it's not your right to take them I'm standing on the word of God and the truth of God's word get out of my house come on somebody oh my 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 I feel like I could preach Amen. Swing over hell with one hand and whip the devil with a wet newspaper in the other one. I feel the Lord in this house. Listen to this. He said, I, I want you to see though what happens when you fail to teach God's value into one generation. He wasn't worried because he said, I'll have peace not only this day, but I'll have peace for the rest of my life. You know what Hezekiah was saying? He, he was saying simply this. There's one thing that I know, even if my kids don't have peace, I'm going to have peace. You ever heard a, a, a mama say, you know what, I just wish I had some peace? Hezekiah was saying, I don't really care if my kids get peace as long as I get peace. That's what he was saying. Read it for yourself. And, and it's very alarming because what he was really saying was this, 
my children are going to have to deal with my baggage. They're going to have to deal with me opening the door to the enemy. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, parents and grandparents. You may not think that what you're doing, the casualness that you have dealt with sin, the casualness that you have played with certain things in your life will affect your children, but I'm here to tell you they do. I'm here to tell you from one generation to the next, it can creep through and crawl through your family like nobody's business, but it only takes one person to stand up in the face of a curse and say, not in my house, not in my generation, not in my children. And we have got to be the generation, and this generation coming behind us has to be willing to know that the Jesus we're serving is real enough to stop the enemy in his tracks. I'm trying to teach it, but as much as I want to teach it, I I feel like preaching it. There are a lot of people in this room that you've dealt with baggage of your own past. and A lot of that baggage was not something you created, but it was somebody else who created it in your family. I see the next generation of young people that can either be free in Christ or bound by the enemy. I believe that more than anything else that God wants the next generation to see the greatest move of God, the greatest revival, the greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost that has ever been seen from, from, from Azuzu Street to where we are right now. I believe that God wants that. I believe that we have not yet seen what Joel chapter 2 says where He will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Come on somebody. I don't believe that we have yet to see the greatest move of God yet in the body of Christ. I believe it's yet to come. I believe that the best is yet to come. We just haven't got there yet. And I believe that my children are going to see that. Come on somebody. If I could tell you anything, I would share with you this tonight. I want to share with you about a queen. I'm going to transition here a little bit. And how that a queen set up the generation, the next generation to be free. i got just a few minutes. And I want to give you this scripture out of Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. The Bible says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Somebody say knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being my priests. How many of you know that as the father of your home, you're the priest of your home? That Jesus is our king and high priest, but you are the priest of your home. I've rejected you from being priest for me because you have forgotten the law of God. And we're talking about Old Testament here. So he's talking about the word of the Lord. And look at what it says. I will also forget your children. Notice that. Now the Bible tells us we have not passed along everything that we should have to our children. Here's what's happening in America right now. What's happening in America is we're passing along things that we think are important like ball. Dance, cheerleading, nothing wrong with sports. Please do not misunderstand what I'm telling you. Other activities, things that we think are very vital to our kids, and we think if we just take them to church on Sunday morning that they're going to get everything they need. However, I'm going to tell you as the head of your house, Dad, you need to be the priest of your home standing up saying, hey, we're going to have prayer. We're going to read our Bible. We're going to gather together. We used to do this. Our kids knew it. They knew we were going to do it just as sure as the sun came up and it set in the evening. We would leave for school and we'd take them to school because we were taking them where a school that they didn't have a school bus. So we were driving them to school on the way to school. 
either me or their mother would start out in prayer and then we would end up with one of them in prayer. So we taught them not only that we prayed, but they pray. Are y'all with me? Because it's not good enough for you to know how to pray. It's not just good enough. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to get done with all of this, but it's not just good enough that you get to heaven. Your kids need to get to heaven. And so we would start out with prayer, and it, whether it was Bethany or myself, and we would pray. And then each of our kids would pray, and we would pray over their day. And we would pray over lost people, and we would pray over their families because we needed to teach them how to pray. We, we expect people to be born from the womb. We expect to take them to church and Sunday school and just figure all that stuff out. But the truth of it is, the responsibility of learning about God and the ways of God rests upon especially those fathers. And if we don't take that opportunity, it may be a lost opportunity in our families. And then we wonder why they're doing some of the things they're doing. We wonder why they're off everywhere doing everything that could be done. That's why to us it is imperative... That we have not only, uh, uh, we not only have children in our nursery and in our children or in our uh, nursery program, but we have them in children's church and we have somebody there and teachers and teams that are leading them that are teaching them the ways of the Lord because there are some children that are showing up into our churches that are not being taught, that do not know and do not have a knowledge of the ways of God. The only way they're hearing it's right here. It is imperative to us here at Refuge Church that we have someone who is called of God, anointed of, prayed over, full of the Holy Ghost, that are teaching our young people in our youth services, in our student ministry. Why? Because we don't want to lose them. We don't need them going somewhere else. We need them here. But I can't help them if they're not here. Come on, somebody. We can't help them if they're not here. And we believe that it's important that they understand that there is a way uh, of the Lord that they need to walk in. There is a way that the enemy will put in front of them and say, this is the way you should go. This is what you should do. And a lot of that has been opened by the adults. Opening things into their lives that they wouldn't normally have. There are things in your house they don't need. They don't need HBO. They don't need Cinemax. A lot of them don't need cell phones and iPads. Because they're being open. You say, well, I've been monitoring. I'm watching them. But you don't know what they're doing while they're alone. You don't know what they're doing while they're at their friend's house. You don't know a lot of what they're doing. Well, I trust my children. Well, you're a lot braver than I am. The Bible says we've got to be careful that we pass along the word of the Lord, and that we pass along that to our kids. And it needs to be a reminder, not just, a, uh, not just something we think they know, but a spoken reminder. Let me give you the story real quick, some contextual info here on the story of a woman by the name of Queen Esther. I'm going to just share real quickly. We're, we're switching from, from Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah over to a woman by the name of Esther. Her parents died when she was a child. She was raised by a man by the name of Mordecai. It was her older first cousin, if you do the research on it. Presented and chosen as the candidate for the queen because of her beauty. She was chosen for the queen of Persia and had to keep her lineage a secret because she was a Jew. Haman, a man who was called an Agite, plots to destroy the whole Jewish nation. He wants to get rid of them. You need to read the story for yourself. I'm going to give you the cliff notes tonight. Is that all right? 
He wants to destroy that whole nation. He is an old family enemy that can be, uh, uh, he is an old family enemy that can be anything in your life. He can, Haman can represent financial bondages. He can represent marital divorces. He can represent addiction. He can represent strife. He can represent a spirit of gossip in your life. Any one of these old enemies can destroy you and can destroy your family. But if you know who Jesus is, if you have the knowledge of who He is and let it go from your head to your heart, it can change your life and not only yours but your children. Don't feel that your children. Don't feel like that your children's uh, that, uh, fill your children's minds with a failure. What do you mean? Not everyone in the kingdom of God knows. Not everyone that comes to church understands the concepts of being free. Just because you think you raised them in church and that's a good thing that they understand all of that does not always mean that they do. Now, a decree is sent out. Let me just get back to my story again because I'm going to get off sidetracked here a minute. A decree is sent out on a particular day that all the Jews must die. Haman has helped that along. He is the enemy. In addition, a gallows is built to kill Mordecai, who is now raising uh, uh, Queen Esther. Listen to this. Esther is the only one in the position to save Not just her family, but the whole nation of of Jews. Haman the Agag, the the king, was the king of the Amalekites in this group that fought with Moses. If you do the research, I'm just giving you some cliff notes, some information here. When they were in the desert. God raised up a man by the name of Saul. Do you remember him before David? To destroy them, but they destroyed Saul instead. The enemy, look at this, has plagued them ever since that time because they wanted to be free, but they weren't free. Saul was raised up by God and Saul seen the riches of the Amalekites and the Amalekites, listen to this, took Saul's life. Do your research. No generation at this point has produced a champion. Aren't you glad? Oh, I'm going somewhere with this. Yet, to set the family free from this generational curse, there needs to be somebody. If you do the research and you do the storyline and you look at it, we know that the next king in line after Saul is who? David. I don't have time to dig too deep right there. We're not going to get finished with Esther. So let me go to Esther 4.14. In Esther 4.14 it says, If you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews uh, from uh, for the Jews from another place. But if you and your father and you and your father's house will perish, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom? Look at this, and we've heard this line many times for such a time as this. You know what he's saying? He's saying this: If my generation, if the parents' generation. Do not break the curse that hangs over the head of our children. Then God may have to raise up someone else. Have we ever stopped to consider that God has called our generation for such a time as this? That God really had a purpose and a plan for us? And even though the enemies tried to stop us, even though the enemy really didn't want us to to be free, that we can be free? 
That even though our past has said that we're a failure, even though our past has said you'll never be any more than what your father was or your grandfather was, that in God's plan of eternity that God really wants you to be free. And not only does He want you to be free, but He wants your kids to live in freedom. But the truth of it is, if we as parents choose to live in bondage, most likely our kids will too. They're watching. They're looking. They see our life. They know what we do. We may think we're fooling them, but we're not fooling anyone. If my generation stands up in the face of what the enemy has said, because we believe that God did raise us up for this time, and stands in the face of that curse and says, not in my house, all it takes is one person in a generation, in a family, to break that curse. Let me just share this with you for the sake of time and we'll move on. A curse is nothing more than a lie spoken over you. If you believe that you will be an alcoholic because your parents or your grandparents were, that's nothing more than a lie spoken over you. That's not truth. Pastor, can you prove that? Yeah, the Bible says he that the son is set free is free indeed. And you know what? If I believe that's truth, I I believe that's God's Word from John. I believe that that is truth. If I believe that He that the Son has set free, He that Jesus has set free is free indeed, that means no matter what my parents have done, no matter what my grandparents have done, I can have freedom in Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm talking to you kids now. I'm talking to you children, you young people, you youth tonight. Listen to me. No matter what they have done, All it takes is you to stand up and say, I'm not going to live that way. I choose not to. I know what mama did. I know what daddy did. I know what they're still doing. But I believe that Jesus set me free. And because Jesus set me free, I'm not going to live that way. My children won't live that way. I'm going to live for Jesus. Just because mama had a bad attitude don't mean i got to have a bad attitude. Just because daddy had a temper don't mean I've got to have a temper. Listen, I am who I am because Jesus made me and created me. And I am a child of the living God. Hallelujah. I'm walking in freedom, not just talking in freedom. It's easy to talk about it, but it's another thing to walk about it. Come on, somebody. Not just to tell somebody that you're free, but to know that you're free. To know who you are. Come on, somebody. That you know who you are in Christ Jesus. That you've stood on the Word of God and the truth of God's Word, and there's not a devil in hell that can convince you otherwise that you are free indeed. Come on, somebody. My goodness, my goodness, my goodness. Mmm. So Esther, chapter 5, verse 1. Esther takes a stand. We're talking about Esther who was the queen who is the only one that can save the next generation. It says, Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes. She stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house. While the king sat on the royal throne in the royal house facing the entrance of the house. Esther makes a decision that she will put on the robes of queen and the title of being queen. And she would make the decision to stand for what is right. Do you know what's wrong with us today in America? We got people that don't know what to stand for. And they're falling for everything. We got, you remember what I said about our, the way our young people believed that that's how our nation would go? That's why there's so much confusion right now because they really don't know what they believe and why they believe it. 
Because we've got colleges and high schools and even middle schools teaching them that there is no God. Or if there is a God, He doesn't care about them. And if God is really God, then why does He let so many bad things happen? So apparently there really isn't a God. But I can tell you something tonight, that there is more science to prove that there is a God than there isn't a God. That it takes more faith to believe that there isn't a God who created this universe. Mm. Put it on its axis. Float the stars into the heavens. Name them one by one. Created you. Created me. Breathe. My goodness, my goodness. Breathe the breath of life into man. Booted up his system. Come on, took from him a rib and created a woman. And I'm going to tell you, called them man. Called them Adam and Eve or man and a woman. God did not create them any other way. He didn't create them to wonder whether or not that they should be what they are or not. They knew exactly who they were. Listen to me tonight. When you know who you are in Christ, nobody. But nobody can tell you different. Your kids need to know that. Queen Esther knew that she was taking a chance on standing to make a firm decision. Somebody has to make a decision. I don't think there's anything any worse than indecisiveness. For me. Husbands and wives, you've had this conversation. Where do you want to go to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go to eat? Well, maybe it doesn't really matter to me. What would you like? Come on, somebody, y'all looking at me tonight like an Amish person looking at a Radio Shack display, but you know I'm telling you the truth. Amen. Where do you want to go? You know what, men? Can I give you a piece of advice? Would this be all right? She really wants you to say to her, let's go over here and let's get seafood tonight. See, I see women going like this. Now, there may be some women... And we won't go to calling names tonight because we don't really want to get off into that that might rebuttal that and might say that's different. But the truth of it is, she really wants you to be a man's man. Oh, I'm preaching better than you're helping me. Some of young people need to be taking notes tonight. She really wants you to be a man's man. She really wants you to make the decision and say this is what we need to do. This is what we should do. Now again, I know that not everybody looks at it that way, but I'm telling you the truth of it is indecisiveness will kill you. It will destroy you. Look at this. Remember something. Because there is protocol, if Esther goes into the presence of the king without permission, you've got to understand this, that she could die. But she had a decision to make that she would either be comfortable with her generation failing or she would be willing to give her life so that the next generation could be free. I'm going to say it again. If you study, my wife loves the royal stuff. You know, all the things that has to do with royalty and kings and queens and she has studied that stuff for me long live the queen king whoever it is <laughs> I have an uncle and an aunt both an aunt that's truly from England born raised there and an uncle that married her and I've heard a lot of those things but here's the thing you need to understand if Esther went before the king without permission she could die. He could give the order and she would die. So Esther has to make the decision to either be complacent and indecisive or to stand up and be willing to give her life for the next generation. I'm speaking to you tonight, moms and dads, somewhat. 
and to our young people. I've tried to teach it and I'm, I've been preaching it. But you have to make a decision whether you are willing to be complacent and indecisive about your children and where they are. Or are you willing to say whatever it takes. Pastor, whatever it takes at, at Refuge Church, I want to see that we have the best student ministry that could possibly be here in this, in this church. Come on, somebody. We have the best children's ministries that possibly could be. We have the best nursery program that ever could be. I, I, Lord, I'm willing to give. It may cost me something. Listen to me. David said, I don't want anything that didn't cost me something. I, I got, I'm almost done. I'm almost out of time. When I was a kid, I got one bicycle. One. Now, I have... Two, you said, well, you only got one. Let me clarify. I got one new bicycle. Brother Tegan, the first one I have, and I still have the frame, was a 50-something model Swin. I hang on to it because thinking one day it might be worth some money. It hung in the basement of my parents' house until I went and did what any American picker would do, went and got it. The second one that I got was at about nine years old. It was a white Huffy. And I got it for my birthday. And daddy told me, son, you better put it on the kickstand. And before nightfall, it needs to go into the basement where it'll stay dry. Y'all on the page with me? See, here's the deal right now. Kids get one every year for Christmas. Some of them do. Every year for their birthday. And so they don't know the value of what one is worth. Because dad said, if this one gets run over because you laid it down behind a car... Or it rusts out because you left it outside. Or you slide the back wheel off of it. It's yours now. Are you with me? Are, are you with me? So I knew the value of what that bike was. I wouldn't get another one. You understand me? Our kids need to understand the value of what they have. They need to understand. Our church, our body, the parents need to understand the value of what God has given us and said, this is your responsibility. What will you do with it? We can be indecisive and say, you know what, we'll do this, we'll do that. Or we can make and take a stand and say, you know what, Pastor, if it costs me everything I've got, I want to make sure we have the best that we can have. This is my church. This is my church. Are you with me? Ownership. That, that trash on the ground, I'm going to pick it up and put it in the trash can because this is my church. I, I'm not going to just leave that stuff in the, in the chair because this is my church. I'm not going to let my kids ride over all over the giving envelopes and, and, and the cards because this is my church. Those cost the church. Are you, is this making sense? So when we realize, hey, this costs something, and, and you know what? The truth of it is you paid for it. We spent the money you gave last week to take care of it. Come on, somebody. So when you take ownership of it and you say, I'm a tithe-paying person in this church. I love Jesus. And Junior, you're not going to tear up just because you want to tear up. You, you with me? That's understanding the value of what God has given you. Some of them will say, we've dealt with it in the past. Why don't you, you know, we'll have a kid that grabs one of these microphones until you realize that microphone's about $700. 
and, and, and we're grabbing a hold of them trying to get it because we know if it gets dropped and broke that you paid for it before it ever got there and we're going to have to buy it again. Y'all with me? So when we take ownership of it, what we're saying is literally this. I believe that God has put me here for such a time as this and I want to make sure that my kids understand the value and the importance and whatever I have to do, I'm going to make sure that whatever I'm dealing with, they don't have to deal with it in the future. Let me, let me get to a close here. Esther goes into the, into the kingdom. She's robed up. The Bible says that Esther was not an orphan or a slave, but she's a queen. Remember that when she comes in, she sees herself as what God has already said about her, that she is the queen. Well, I want to tell you something. When you start seeing yourself as kids of the kingdom, princes and princes in the kingdom of God, you have the understanding that you have the right to enter into the throne room of God. And look, you have the right to enter into the presence of God. The Bible says the king tells Esther, all that I have, Esther, is yours up to half of the kingdom. You know what I hear Jesus saying as we get ready to close this in just a moment about my life and your life and about these young people? This is what I hear Jesus saying because He is our King. He is our soon coming King. You are beautiful. I love you. And what would you like for me to do for you? You can say, God, I need your help. I need your help to break the curse that's been over my family, that's been threatening our family, been threatening our finances, been threatening our future. And I believe that God hears your prayers. He doesn't just hear the prayers of a pastor or a preacher. He hears your prayers. In Esther verses 8 and 8, he said, You yourselves write a decree for the Jews as you please in the, in your, in the king's name. And seal it with a king's signet ring for a letter which is written in the king's name. And seal with a king's signet ring. No one can revoke it. The king says to Esther, write down your own decree. Write down what you need, what you want. And, it, and Esther turned the tables and she literally reversed the curse that Haman had spoke over him. And the very thing that was meant to destroy the Jews, God used it to save them. The very thing that the, that the enemy wanted to use to destroy the Jews, God turned it and used it to reverse the curse. As they get ready, they're going to play something for them. We're going to close here in just a moment. God, I believe, is ready to set up this next generation and for them to be free from bondage. I, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I, I, we've done a lot with a lot of different rehabs and different things that are you know we're and I don't really even like to call it that but we're trying to help people to get free in different areas sometimes it's pornography sometimes it's alcohol sometimes it's drugs and I'll hear people say well pastor what I want to do is I want to try to help the the people moms and dads who have fell under this alcohol or under the pornography or under the drugs and I want to try to help them. That's my call on my life. You know what? That is notable. That is a notable call. But I want to share. I want everybody looking at me. As your pastor, it is the mandate on my shoulders and on yours to make sure these kids never end up there. 
I'm going to say it again. It is the mandate on our shoulders, Pastor Ted, Brother Tag, and myself, that our kids do not end up there. That they don't need to be rehabilitated. That they don't have to go through what we went through. And if the enemy's telling you that, he's lying to you. You say, well, my kids are not exactly doing everything that I want. Well, when did they ever do everything you wanted them to do? You can't control them. As much as I love my three children, I could not control them, especially the eldest. I could barely control myself, but that was the only one that God really gave me responsibility of over-controlling was me. I couldn't even control her. Why? That's not God's mandate. I'm going to share this with you as we get ready to pray. Moms and dads, God never commanded you to make your bad children good. But He did command you to love them. And there's a lot you cannot do. But listen to this. You can love them. And you can set your kids up the next generation so that they live free. And a lot of it is just you walking out your faith, what you know to, and putting that faith into them. The greatest thing you can leave your kids is not money. It's not a brand new car. It's not, it's not, a, it's not some kind of account with when they get certain age that they'll, their college is paid for. Those are good, notable things. But the greatest thing that you can leave to them is your faith and heritage in Jesus Christ. Because they'll blow through money. Come on, somebody. Quicker than a middle-aged woman will blow it on age... Uh, what is it? What's the QVC? Or a middle-aged man will on Amazon. Come on, somebody. Stand with me. Father, we love you tonight. I thank you.